0: you're listening to a sermon from our pastor Brian Payne. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Good evening. If we turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 21, we're going to look at the first 21 verses of this passage tonight. Thank you, Adam, praise team, musicians, and Regen for leading us in worship. Uh, Jason Dees could not get over this morning uh, of how uh, you sing. He, I talked to him on the phone after the service. His wife, he was on his way back to Atlanta, and that was the first thing he said, those people sing. And it's not like this in most places. And so it's, it's kind of a, a good kind of shock Uh, when guests come in and and hear hear you sing. And, of course, uh, you're singing because it's a response uh, of the grace that you know and have experienced uh, by faith. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to continue to bless this evening. Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace. Surely goodness and mercy have followed us. And we know that goodness and mercy supremely through the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, even in a passage in Genesis 21, we, we pray that we could behold him and see him tonight. We need that. We need that for our souls. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Both my uh, great grandfather, uh, that I call granddaddy, and my grandfather, that I call Paul Paul, wore a uh, belt and suspenders they wore them every day and and it always intrigued me what was it about their pants that required both belt and suspenders on many mornings we would go there before school and my granddaddy uh, would cook us eggs and sausage now here's how he did it he would cook the sausage first and then he would cook the eggs in the sausage grease now it discolored the eggs but man it made those eggs special Um, But I often wondered, maybe it's those eggs soaking in sausage grease that gave them the need to wear uh, those belt and suspenders. Well, unbeknownst to me, belt and suspenders was an expression that was coined in 1935 in the Galveston uh, Daily News. It was in this section called News Behind the News. And, and here's how uh, the Galveston Daily News defined a person who wore belt and suspenders. They are pessimists who wear bo- belt and suspenders because they need the double insurance. In case the belt breaks, they have the suspenders. And in case the suspenders breaks, they have the belt. Well, perhaps... Abraham was the first belt and suspenders guy. We certainly recognize he's the first that we see in Scripture. Uh, yes, he was a, a man of faith, a great man of faith. He, he was the classic man of faith. Uh, James and the Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews, one day we'll find out who wrote Hebrews, all of them affirm that Abraham was a man of faith. But here's what we've seen. When he is tested... Time and time again, when he is tested, he resorts. To crutches as security, he resorts to belt and suspenders, and we saw this for the first time in Genesis 12 when there was the famine in the land, and he took his wife uh, Sarah, and uh, they went to Egypt, and uh, he felt like that he was about to be compromised, and so he he deceived uh, the Pharaoh there and and told him that Sarah was his sister, and it almost compromised Sarah in the process. We saw it the same time in Genesis 16 when they're waiting on the promised son and uh, God is not cooperating according to their timetable and so uh, he has his little tryst with with Hagar because he believed that God needed his help and then last week we saw uh, it again when uh, he is exposed to King Abimelech who was kind of the precursor to the Philistines and then we see that sin pattern all over. Again, what we're going to see today is the Lord is going to wean Abraham off these belt and suspenders once and for all. And the reason this is important here in Genesis 21 is because in Genesis 22, we have this great test coming. God is going to call Abraham to do something that staggers the imagination to offer his son up on the altar. He can't afford to have belt and suspenders when that test comes. God's always at work, uh, sanctifying his people, preparing them uh, for future assignments, preparing them for glory, conforming them uh, to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to see here in this passage. Um, but it comes in the context, and sometimes the tests come in the context of, of victory and celebration. And we see that at the very beginning of this passage, the fulfillment of the promise finally The fulfillment of the promise and the weaning of Isaac, who is the son of promise. Look with me in verse 1. Now, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, 25 years later, but as he had said. You remember, I heard a preacher say one time that it is God who made time, it's man who made the watch. All right, And so we oftentimes feel like God is late, but he's never late. So he visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time. I love that phrase, at the time which God had spoken to him. So it's been 25 years, at least 25 years, since Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, a place of moon worship, and he was given this promise of a son who would bless the nations. 25 years. And he promised him an innumerable multitude of people. But don't overlook this phrase at the time. Isaac was born at exactly the time when the Lord intended, okay? Now, Friday, uh, many of us, maybe you haven't heard this, hopefully you have, we receive word that Mike Cannon has received a donor uh, going to provide him what he needs for his, his liver, and that is glorious news, but let's be honest. It seems late to us, doesn't it? It seems really late. But the donor, Jennifer Stroud, was provided, let's just use this language, at the time that God intended. God is never late. Matthew Henry, the great Puritan, uh, preacher and commentator said this, God is always punctual to his time. Though his promised mercies come not at time we set, they will certainly be at the time he sets. And that is the best time. Amen. May we believe that. Well, these words, verses one, and, verses 1 and 2, contain really the whole autobiography of the life of faith. God fulfills his promises without help from us, though we often seek to manipulate to help him out. But notice three times in this passage it says God was faithful to his word. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, or in the first part of that it says as he had said, and then as he had promised, and then at the time of which God had spoken. And so three times it tells us God is faithful to his word. In the meantime, Abraham and Sarah have sought to help God out, and it never escalated the timing. It never rushed to God, did it? They sought to help him out, but all it did was cause them and many others heartaches and pain. Yet in spite of them, not because of them, notice it says, he visited. I love that. He visited Sarah. Now that verb visited is often used in the Old Testament of God's direct intervention in an otherwise hopeless situation. It's the same verb that's used in 1 Samuel 2, I believe verse 12, where it says that God visited um, Hannah and she bore and she conceived a child that we know was, was Samuel, it's the same verb. What I love about this language is that it would have been easy for Moses to have written that God just did this from afar. But he uses the language of visiting. God comes, God draws near to Abraham and Sarah. And, and we need uh, to, to rehearse and meditate on the promises of God, okay? And we, we need, in the waiting to remind him, uh, as the Puritans used to say, show him his handwriting. Okay, And that's how we wait on him faithfully. Show him his handwriting. Show him what he has said. And and because if we don't and we lose sight of the promises, we will begin to manipulate circumstances just like Abraham and Sarah uh, did. And all it does is complicate our lives, but it never expedites God. And that's an important word, I think, about our young people. It's an important word for young people, um, that they take matters in their own hands and relationships and oftentimes will compromise their purity. And God does not need your help. You wait on him and trust him, okay? Learn from Abraham and Sarah that when you don't, heartache and pain are always the consequence. Well, notice in verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. This is the first baby circumcised in the Bible on the eighth day. As God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And so uh, this passage describes a man of faith. Again, he's like us. He waffles. Uh, You'll see great acts of faith and then times of of compromise and and sin. But we see his obedient response to God's commands. First of all, uh, he names the baby Isaac as God commanded back in chapter 17, verse 16. And then he circumcises the child on the eighth day, just as the Lord had commanded back in chapter 17. Now, chapter 17, verse 1 tells us that Abraham was 99 when God made the covenant of circumcision with him. So this is one year later. And Sarah's response uh, to the birth is to make two pronouncements, both of which involve a word play on the name Isaac. Remember, the name Isaac means he laughs, to laugh. Look with me in verse 6. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. He has, he has restored for her joy in her heart, laughter in her heart. Uh, it was their compromise that took it away. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Now, these, these are this is a statement of faith, and she said, "Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? So not only did she give birth, she is nursing the child. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age." So unlike before, when Sarah laughed out of unbelief, here, her laughter is the laughter of faith. It's an expression of joyous faith. And, and we see something here of the ways of God. For 25 years, he appeared to be silent. At times, it appeared he appeared to be unaware of their struggle. But remember this. Silence never means inactivity when it comes to God. He came, the baby came at the time that God had ordained. Well, look with me in verse six or verse seven rather, or eight. Um, And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So scholars tell us that babies were generally weaned around three years old. And so, Isaac is likely around three years old as he is weaned. Now, uh, you know what it means to be weaned. In fact, there's a psalm, Psalm 131, that speaks about our contentment in God. As a, uh, and, and he uses the analogy of being weaned, okay? But what does it mean to be? Let me give you Webster's de- Dictionary because I'm going to give you two dic- uh, uh, definitions of weaned. Uh, one definition has to do with a baby being weaned off of his mother. To wean is to cause to cease to depend on the mother for nourishment. But I believe that given the context here, there's another kind of weaning that's taking place. Uh, Again, let me give you another Webster's uh, definition of weaning to detach or alienate the affections of from any object of desire. I believe that God is about to wean Abraham, all right? And I'm going to explain that in just a moment. Remember, he is a man of faith, but his besetting sin has been the belt and suspenders kind of life. He trusts God, but he trusts in in his idols as well. All right? And God is, is doing a work of purification. He is weaning Abraham off of this belt and suspenders kind of life, uh, which tends to show itself in the manipulation of his circumstances. In this particular case, he's trusting, he has been trusting in the son born out of wedlock with Hagar. And that brings us to the second part of this passage. Uh, we, have, we have seen the, the, the uh, protection or the promise of the, or the, the fulfillment of the promise of, the, of, of Isaac. But now we come to the protection of the promise and the weaning of Abraham. So we see Isaac weaned, but here in the second part of this ver, uh, passage, we see Abraham weaned. Look with me in verse 9. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So, is this the laughter of faith or is it the laughter of mockery and scorn? Well, we're not left to our imagination here. The Apostle Paul picks up this account we're going to see later on. But in Galatians chapter 4, in verse 29, he describes Ishmael's laughter here as actually persecution. He's persecuting. He's persecuting the son of promise. And so Ishmael's laughter here is the laughter of scorn. Now, remember, we don't wait till John three sixteen 16 to get to the gospel. The gospel is found in the promise made to Abraham. It will be through his son, of, the son of promise, that the Messiah will come. We understand it will be through Abraham's offspring that you have the salvation of the nations. And the son of promise right now is Isaac. And Paul tells us that Ishmael's laughter was one of persecution. So this is the scorn for the gospel. This is ridicule for the promised son. That's the laughter we see here with Ishmael. And by adopting this attitude of of scorn, uh, Ishmael was declaring himself outside the promise. He was declaring himself outside the promised line because salvation would come through Isaac. You know, Psalm 83 indicates that the division between Isaac and Ishmael was of deep spiritual significance. It wasn't just sibling rivalry, there was something spiritual going on here. Listen to these words from Psalm 83. In fact, as we read them, you would almost think you're reading the front page of today's newspaper. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. This is the psalmist speaking to Yahweh. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, Come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord against you, they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites. So you see here, this is more than sibling rivalry. When he laughed, with scorn and mockery. That's why Paul would use the language of persecution. He is, he is demonstrating unbelief In the gospel. Again, the gospel comes to full bloom in Jesus Christ, but the gospel is first presented in Genesis 3.15. Just think of a balloon. And and progressive uh, revelation is like blowing air into the balloon. And so as revelation unfolds through the Old Testament, that balloon begins to take shape, okay? And so he is mocking the gospel here and the, the son of promise. And Sarah will not tolerate it. She's not going to tolerate it. uh, First, because it's her son. And second, I believe she's a woman of faith and it's an affront to the God of the promise. Look with me in verse 10. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Do you see what she's saying? She senses that Abraham wants Ishmael to be a joint heir with Isaac, all right? And she realizes, she recognizes, she reminds her husband that Ishmael is not the son of promise. She is taking God at his word. She's taking God for his promise here. And so her immediate concern was in protecting Isaac's inheritance. And although I'm certain there was some self-concern there, it's also a demonstration of faith because she realized based on God's promise that isaac was the heir and since ishmael had no interest in the son of promise he had no interest in the true inheritance he had no place in the household that's what she recognizes now her words are strong here in verse 10 cast out cast out do you know this is the same verb that's found in Genesis 3.24 when Adam was cast out of the garden. Why was he cast out? Because of his sin. It's the same verb that was used of Cain when he was cast out. Chapter 4, verse 14. It's also the same verb used of the dispossession of the Canaanites in Genesis 24, verse 18. This is the picture of exile. What's interesting here, and it's painfully interesting, is that Abraham has failed to discern the essence of the situation. Verse 11, And the thing was very displeasing, to Abraham on account of his son, on account of his son. Now, in one sense, we recognize Abraham loved his son. He had a legitimate love for his son. And that is right to have that kind of love for his son. But what Moses seems to be indicting here is Abraham's anti-gospel impulse, okay? Because the promise had been made to Isaac, not Ishmael. That's what's being indicted here. And remember, back in chapter 17, verse 18, he had pleaded with God that Ishmael be the chosen one. And God had said no. I have one who's coming who will be the chosen one. And so what you see here from the beginning, Abraham has been unwilling to rely entirely on the promises of God. Okay? He had been unwilling to rely entirely, if you will, on the gospel as presented to him from the Lord. So... Isaac is three years old. He's still, I guess, considered a, he's toddler at this point. And maybe Abraham is thinking, what if something happens? What if something happens to, uh, to Isaac? After all, mortality rates were very high in that day. Wouldn't it be wise to keep Ishmael in reserve? Belt and suspenders. That was his struggle. The Belton suspenders man here was probably emerging again at this point. But God takes Sarah's side in this issue. Verse 12. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, Do as she tells you. Now, what's interesting, Peter tells us that Sarah called Abraham Lord, right? But that doesn't mean, submission does not mean you're a doorstop, all right? Uh, And so Sarah had a real voice in her husband's life. And when a man is not walking as he should, uh, his wife owes it to him uh, to speak up. And so God is taking Sarah's side here. Do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So two times it tells us that this was displeasing. You see it in verse 11 and you see it in verse 12. The thing was very displeasing to Abraham. God says to him, be not displeased. Or maybe your translation reads distressed. For the sake of the promise, okay? For the sake of the promise, Abraham had to get to the place where he commits himself fully to the son of promise, to Isaac. He had to be weaned off his belt and suspenders idolatry. God is doing that in us as well. He's always at work doing that in us as well. You know, our tendency is to want a reserve plan in case God's plan doesn't work out. We, we, we're fearful of putting all our eggs in that one basket, God's basket, okay? But God demands all or nothing. He demands all or nothing. Here's what Paul says in Romans 9, 7 of this verse. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Through Isaac, the line of promise for the world. Remember, it will be through this line, all the nations will be blessed. Through this line and this line alone, through Isaac, not Ishmael. But God answered Abraham's natural concern here for Ishmael's welfare by promising something beautiful. Notice in verse 13. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman. Notice Ishmael's name's never given here. Also because he is your offspring. How is going Abraham going to respond to this promise? Well, I think here is where you see Abraham turning the corner because God's preparing him for that great test in Genesis 22. And so here we begin to see Abraham letting go of his, his belt and suspenders way of life. He believed God. Verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, and gave it to Hagar. Can you imagine how painful this was? This would have been extraordinary. He would have loved Ishmael as much as any father in here loves their son or daughter. Putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Bathsheba. So they are cut off from Abraham. Uh, They cannot support themselves, but God intervenes he rescues uh, in accordance with the promise he made to Abraham. And we're going to see why this is important in just a few minutes. Verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy. Hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. It doesn't appear that God just produced that well of water. It was there all along, but he had to open her eyes. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife from him from the land of Egypt. So verse 17, God heard. Verse 19, God opened her eyes. So they not only survived, but they prospered. But remember, these are common grace blessings. Common grace blessings. Um, These are the kind of blessings that are outside the realm of salvation. Now, you can have common grace blessings. We have them. Everyone in here has them. But there's nothing salvific about them. Uh, But it appears at this point that Ishmael is, as Paul would describe, unbelievers in Ephesians 2.12, strangers to the covenant of promise. And so this is the case with many. They're, They're satisfied If their life goes well, as long as God takes away their big problems in life, they are happy. But this alone is slavery because he's being depicted as a slave in exile here. In the end, the blessings of the world is just monopoly money. That's all it is. Because we can't take it with us, as we well know. If you try to take monopoly money to the bank, they're not going to honor the currency. But how different would it have been if Ishmael had responded differently to the son of promise? He may have prospered materially, as as God certainly blessed him with this prosperity, but... He would have also secured for him an eternal blessing that is far greater than any material blessing. And this is what this text is telling us. It's what he's telling the original audience who are making the way into the, uh, to the promised land. It, it's on our attitude to Isaac, and in our case, his far off grandson, that our spiritual future stands or falls. Okay? It's the same for us. Our spiritual futures rest on our response to the son of promise. And so just because you may be prospering does not mean you're right with God. Ishmael prospered, but he was not right with God. Let me give you some concluding thoughts here. First of all, The casting out of Hagar and Ishmael anticipates the vocabulary of the Exodus, um, the very themes of the Exodus. And I'm gonna tell you why that's important just a moment. Just think about the very people to whom this was originally written, former slaves who'd been cast out of Egypt, okay? They're out in the wilderness depending on God for sustenance. And so when the the uh, plagues threaten the firstborn son of, of Pharaoh, what does he do? He drives out the Hebrews who had been the slaves. He drives them out of Egypt. And here, Sarah has Abraham casting out the slave to protect the firstborn son. In fact, the verb cast out is the same in both accounts. Chapter 12 or chapter 21, verse 10. And then if you look in in Exodus, uh, chapter 12, verse 39, they were thrust out. They were cast out of Egypt. So the same author is using the same verb. And so Abraham sends away the mother and the boy into the wilderness. We see that in verse 14. And that verb send away is used, get this, 40 times in the Exodus story of Pharaoh's action against the the Hebrews. Hagar and her son, like the Hebrews, are forced into the wilderness with little food and little water. And yet God cares for them. God cares for them. And why is that important? Here's the point. If God does this for those outside the covenant, how much more will he provide for those who are part of the covenant, who are in the covenant? Remember, this was originally written to those who were covenant people and and God was testing them out in the wilderness. And yet By this account, he tells them, I will take care of you. I took care of Ishmael and the Egyptian woman. How much more will I care for you? And that's a word for us as well because we are new covenant people and and our anxiety is a result of believing that God's man is not gonna show up tomorrow. It's a real struggle that we all have. And yet tomorrow we awaken, we recognize his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. A second point. Sarah and Abraham actually had the the child that they were waiting on. But what if our metaphorical pregnancy never occurs? Or whatever you're waiting on or whatever you're hoping on. We cannot pretend that there are no disappointments or heartaches in this life and that everything we wait on will be fulfilled. We can't pretend that is the case. We must recognize that God's plan may not be our plan. And his plan is better. We need to be careful of making an idol of our plans. God is good and he does good. And so whatever his plan is for us, is a good plan. And so his plan may not be what we would have chosen, but we can trust him because he has demonstrated his love for us by his faithfulness to Abraham and Sarah by sending the son of promise. And so his love for them is his love for us because that son of promise would reproduce through the generations, and the ultimate last days son of promise would come. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for us. And so when God doesn't part the Red Sea for you, when he does not multiply the fishes and loaves for you, don't think that he loves you less Than he does those that he does that for. Trust that he has a better plan for you. His love has been shown definitively in sending Isaac, in sending the son of promise and the greater Isaac through whom we will be blessed and are blessed. One final point. I'll be remiss not to pick up the Apostle Paul's application of this passage. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 4, actually picks this text up as an application. And here's what he says in Galatians 4, 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Don't you love that? By the way, that's primarily a Gentile church. The church of Galatia was a Gentile church and these Judaizers had come in and said, well, if you're going to be a Christian, yes, you got to trust in Jesus, but you've also, you have to be circumcised and you must keep the Sabbath and must do all. you must become a Jew, okay? And so Paul writes Galatians to, to deal with that. And he says, if you are in Christ, you are sons of promise because he is the seed of the woman. He is the, the seed of Abraham. Galatians three sixteen, He says, but just as at that time he was born according to the flesh or he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. Again, he's picking up this language that we've just read in Genesis 21. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. The slave woman being Hagar, the free woman being Sarah. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And so this is Paul's argument in a nutshell. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. They were born of two mothers, Hagar and Sarah, who represent two covenants, the former covenant, the old covenant and the latter covenant, the new covenant. Of course, Paul's not setting the old covenant against the new covenant because the old covenant was actually a covenant of grace just like the new covenant was but it had been turned into the kind of uh, covenant that made it um, a, a work of the law, the obedience of the law for salvation and so he's contrasting Two ways of approaching God, the way of grace, the way of promise, and the way of of self-works, trusting in works, all right? And so Paul is saying that you can trust in your works and remain in a condition of slavery just like Abraham did when he trusted in his own actions in his affair with Hagar, or you can trust in God's provision of grace through the son of the promise that we know will come to fruition ultimately in the the Lord Jesus Christ. As Philip Ryken says, and I love this, in the eyes of God, everyone is either an Ishmael or an Isaac. Does that make sense? In the eyes of God, everyone is either an Ishmael or an Isaac. And so Ishmael and Hagar represents those who depend on their own efforts to be accepted by God. Isaac and Sarah, his mother, represents those who are living by faith. Faith in the child of promise. Thank God that Paul has given us that inspired um, application of this, what is oftentimes an obscure text. And I realize this evening as Adam and the musicians come forward that most of you are sons and daughters of the promise because you have trusted in the one in whom Isaac typifies Uh, You have trusted in the one in whom Isaac points. Uh, Hebrews says, all of these realities were the shadows. Christ is the substance. You've trusted in the substance. But all of us are a lot like Abraham in that belt and suspenders approach to life. And so as we sing, maybe you would like to come pray or maybe just pray where you are. Consider the areas of your life where you are... compromising and you are manipulating uh, where you are in the back of your mind thinking God needs my help and this may be the time uh, for the Lord to show you those things so that you can repent of them or maybe you realize I'm not a son of the promise I am in Ishmael's line and I will ultimately be cast out if I don't repent and come to the son of promise the Lord Jesus Christ why don't you trust in him tonight as we stand and as we sing? Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.